I had these two versions of April, right? I had corporate April who, you know, checks the boxes and I did the things and I wore the gray pantsuits and all the shit you had to do to get ahead. And again, I was good at it, but there was this other side of me. You know, I did humanitarian work. I hid that. I mean, if you're in a career where you have to hide the fact that you do humanitarian work, there's something wrong with your career. I worked at Wells Fargo at the time. Then I went on to Chase Manhattan and I did huge projects there in finance. And then I went into telecom. But I hid these two two versions of me. And I finally, I went, wait a second. The people that stand up at my funeral and knew me from corporate would tell one version of me. And the people that have been on the habitat trips that I've led overseas would tell a totally different version of me. Still high energy, still high risk, all that stuff. But there would be a disconnect. And I needed to bring those two people together. Straight from the boardroom to the microphone, I'm April Garcia, and this is Pivot Me, easily applied tools and hacks to get you ahead. This isn't just a podcast. This is an upgrade for your life. Helping good people become even better. This is Pivot Me. Damn, we look good for 100. Today marks the 100th episode for Pivot Me. We're so pumped for this massive milestone and for your support along the way. What started out as a dare from my client, Al, grew to be a podcast streaming all over the world, a relationship with you, impact on a global scale that doesn't happen without your support. Thank you. But we ain't done yet. Oh, hell no. We're just warming up. We're just hitting our stride. But for the big 100, we want to do something totally different. So I sat down with two friends in three cities with a bottle of wine and we talked about it all. We went through a bunch of questions they had. Whatever they wanted to throw at me, um, they did. And it was a great conversation. My good friend, Mark Keen, the owner of Transformation Coaching and client and friend Desiree Maya of Born Unbreakable Podcast. Man, they asked me all the questions. We go way back, way back actually in my life as well to the real reason I got my fake ID at 15, my rat tail haircut as a kid. And then when I was 19, how how much the doctors at the hospital I worked at did not want me to lead their process improvement committee, where my confidence comes from. And really what we duck into is my unquenchable desire to be Indiana Jones. Man, I wanted to be him so bad. Um, We talk about being an executive, a badass, a mom, the importance of what we model for our daughters. I talk about the biggest mistake I made in my career and what business deal I wish I could do all over again. Ultimately, what you'll hear today is a story about going your own way, that being the weird kid with the rat tail is just fine. Whether you are one or raising one, it'll be okay that ultimately we become not what we're destined to be. We become what we decide to be. The power is in our hands. The road will be bumpy. The stories will be many, but it'll be one hell of a journey. All right. So grab yourself a drink and let's get into this. So April, you know, one of the monikers, the characteristics that I hear talked about with you the most is April is badass. In fact, when I introduce or talk about you behind your back, I often say she's totally badass. So my question to you, April, is how far back 
does this go? When you like identified or were identified as this, and why do you own it so well to this day? Gosh, how far back does the badassery go? As uh-huh. as far back as I can remember, Mark. So um I was a different kid. Let's just say that. I was a different kid. So I was a skateboarder and let me just paint a picture real quick. So imagine, if you will, like an eight-year-old girl with the the bowl cut, but a long rat tail in the back. Edgy. Wow. Yeah, edgy. I was edgy. Yes. Um, and then I, I, I wore like muscle shirts. I was a very weird kid. Um, but I was a hardcore skateboarder. And I would set up... Um, ramps at the bottom of our long driveway, right? And the ramps was a piece of plywood that I would take from like the backyard and I would kind of wet it and and I'd stack it up on cement blocks. I'm, I'm thinking now I can't imagine my kids doing this now, but I would go <laughs> down this long driveway on a skateboard and I would hit that ramp that then of course launched me out into the street. Like that's where it goes. We're in a regular neighborhood, cars coming to take me away. And I can remember doing that probably at seven and eight. And uh, I always had, my knees were always skinned over. I always had these giant scabs on my knees and I'd, we'd pull rocks out of them at the end of the day. But I was, I was always like that. I was always a risk taker. Um, I can remember climbing a tree at my dad's company picnic and I, I climbed all the way to the top, but the limbs were too thin and I got all the way to the top and then one of the limbs broke and then I bear hugged the tree and then snapped. Snap, 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 snap. And I slid all the way down the tree, bear hugging the tree. So you can imagine like the scrapes and the abrasions. I I took every limb off of that tree, but on the way down, one of the limbs went through my leg and like through the muscle and chipped off the bone. Um, And I laid at the bottom of the tree forever because I didn't want to go to the doctor. So I was like, I'm just not going to tell my parents, but I couldn't walk because there was a hole in the muscle. Um, So I would say that the badassery started probably pretty young. Uh, when you it, got punctured <laughs> in your flesh, yeah. it was then born the mm. badass. She laughed <laughs> at pain. She was released from the puncture okay, so, wound in my leg. But going into the professional, like, okay, so it was present from birth, apparently. Yeah, it was. Well, like, when you shifted into professional life and, I mean, yeah. you, know, you, you did it in corporate, now you do it in your own brand and, podcast everything like talk about that part so um uh, so it yeah now all these memories are coming back to me so i'm just thinking about when you say corporate life so let me tell you about one of my first jobs i had a job that i was too young to have but you know how i had that job i worked in a movie theater right at nights late i got that job because i went and got a fake id in san francisco that said i was 21 Not to get into bars, though it did also serve that purpose. But at 15, it said I was 21 so I could work shifts that adults could work. So this is like, so at 15, I was uh, hired as a 21-year-old named April Summer out of North Carolina. So that's that's that was me at 15. So that's how my corporate journey started. Um, And then it continued to there. I just kind of went my own way. I'm thinking about when I worked at the hospital, I was 19. I was 18 when I started the hospital. But at 19... I ended up becoming the head of the process improvement committee at at Northern Nevada Medical Center, the hospital I worked at. And I was 19. And let me tell you, a committee of doctors do not want to listen to a 19-year-old run a meeting 
and be in charge of a committee, right? Um, it was not received well. And I was, you know, I had my midnight blue hair and where if I wasn't in scrubs, I was wearing overalls and pigtails. Um, yeah, I looked like a like a gamer instead of an actual um, employee of the hospital. So that, I, I would say that um, not purposely standing out, but going my own way, I carried that from childhood right into the professional world. So they didn't like to hear what I had to say, except I had really good ideas and that could not be denied. And it's hard for them to receive it because again, I was a 19 year old midnight blue haired kid. Um, and you know, that continued. I started buying the, the doctors were men too. Oh, they were, they were all men. So uh, that practice of dominating in a world in professions where women have not typically dominated. For sure. I'm, I, I've spent a career being in rooms where I was always the youngest female, or I was always the only or one of the only females. And I was um, the youngest person in the room too. So um, in some ways I had two strikes against me, but I, through my stubbornness, through my grit, my tenacity, my badassery, I was like, okay, here we go. I got really uncomfortable being in rooms where I wasn't welcomed in but I was really good at demonstrating my value pretty quickly. And I, you know, one of the things that you said that I picked up on, so I'm curious about is risk-taking. <laughs> so, you, so you were saying, you know, all the way back from childhood, you weren't afraid to take risks. And mm -hmm. um, I'm curious, is there any risk that you've taken in business that you actually did regret? Mm. Ooh. Great question. Yes. Um, there's that pause. Um, yes, there is. So one that sticks out pretty pronounced is, um, and Mark saw the tail end of this. Mm. I was selling my consulting firm Maven, um, to a large distributor that I worked with. And, um, we got really focused. Well, we were selling, a, I was selling a portion of it. I was selling a large portion of it. And they were buying in for, it was a multi-million dollar deal. And we got so focused on that deal, on them purchasing my company, that I took my eye off the ball. And, you know, we celebrated too early. We got super excited about it. Um, we picked out our office space, the third floor of this beautiful building downtown. It overlooked the river. I mean, we had like we wanted to set up like a workout room in the building and where we were going to park our mountain bikes. Um, my director of product management and I had our new cars picked out. So did my business analyst. And uh, I took my eye off the ball and um, the deal got delayed. And the delay in that purchase blew the whole deal up. So um, it got delayed for good reason. Um, but because I put all my eggs in that basket, it was a big basket. And it was too soon to be putting my all my eggs in that basket. So we, we uh, the deal fell through, and I really I regretted the pe my team that followed me into that. They uh, they invested a lot, and I wish that it was a different outcome. And there was no hard feelings. I mean, it's not like anyone you know was taken advantage of or anything like that. But I loved my team, and they followed me into war. And I did not win the battle. Wow. Yeah, that one still stings. Ultimately, if that deal would have gone through, I would be the CEO of a $100 million organization. And I would have 
traveled because I was overseeing a lot of distribution channels at the time. And uh, I would continue to see not only national distribution channels, but I would oversee global distribution channels. So I would have been traveling a lot. And honestly, I would have never done Pivot Me, the podcast, the clients that I work with now. I was really niched in telecom. That's the, the industry that I was really focused in. And I wouldn't have done the kind of work that I'm doing now. And so as is often the case, in hindsight, you go, well, I'm glad I am where I am. But, um, you know, I've never been one of, of those people that say things happen for a reason, but I think we can find a reason for things happening. Mm-hmm. And so I'm glad that the deal did not go through because of who I would have had to become for that role. Mm. Yeah. That's a great story. And I'm glad you did pivot me because otherwise we wouldn't be here right now having this conversation. (laughs) And let's piggyback on that. So that was like this regretful moment. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the questions I was going to ask is, okay, so you were there in the corporate world and million dollar deals and Mm -hmm. even billion dollar deals. And what made the shift? Um, Why? Why the shift? Oh, that's a really good question. You know, I, so I'm trying to not give a canned response. I'm trying to give a more um, candid and vulnerable response. I was really good at the work that I did and I enjoyed it too, but I did it with the wrong people. So in the podcast, I say I made big companies bigger and rich people richer. They weren't always the right people. And I was really good at making their company bigger and making them richer. Um, but it wasn't for the right kinds of people. And when I looked back at my career, though it has been, you know, when I look back at my corporate career, though it's been um, successful and again, I enjoyed what I did, I wasn't really making anyone's lives better. I wasn't really, I had these two versions of April, right? I had corporate April who, uh, you know, checks the boxes and I did the things and I wore the gray pantsuits and all the shit you had to do to get ahead when you're in the boardroom and maybe you're not welcomed and it's okay. I'm just going to do the things I need to do. And again, I was good at it, but there was this other side of me. You know, I did humanitarian work. I hid that. I mean, if you're in a career where you have to hide the fact that you do humanitarian work, there's something wrong with your career. Because as I mentioned earlier, you know, yes, I was a female. Yes, you know, at least when I started for quite quite a big chunk of my career, I was often the youngest. I was female. Like I had had these things about me that we kind of like, all right, let's get over this before we can start doing business together. And that was hard enough. But my God, if they knew that I spent my vacation time building houses for disadvantaged people in foreign lands, well, that would just be too much. That's that she's just too different. She's too much of a bleeding heart. She won't have what it takes to, you know, swim with the sharks. And I did have what it took, but I also like to build houses for people. And I like to do water filtration projects with people. And the fact that I couldn't bring those two versions of April together was a problem. I felt this disconnect in me. I like signing my name to a $100 million deal. My God, it feels good. I like eating at the nicest restaurants and drinking the finest scotch. My God, it feels good. I also love connecting with people. I also love digging a septic tank in a country like that. Like that's my gift back. You know, I've spent a ton of time. I spent a lot of time overseas. I've been to probably 50 countries now. Um, And there was a time when, when I was traveling for the sake of enjoyment and backpacking through and even the rugged travel, 
I was just a witness to things. And I said, you know what? I can't just be a witness to the things I've seen overseas. And I've got to step in and impact it. So I started impacting it probably at around 24. And I hit it. I worked at Wells Fargo at the time. And then I went on to Chase Manhattan. And I did huge projects there in finance. And then I went into telecom. But I hid these two, two versions of me. Mm. And I finally, I went, wait a second. Like, the people that stand up at my funeral and knew me from corporate would tell one version of me. And the people that have been on the habitat trips that I've led overseas would tell a totally different version of me. Still high energy, still high risk, all that stuff. But there would be a disconnect. And I needed to bring those two people together. Well, so there's two themes that I'm picking up on based on the stories that you've shared so far. And it's confidence and authenticity in terms of having the confidence to pursue new territories despite the obstacles of men or being young or whatever it is, you know, and then authenticity of recognizing the blend that you could have. Mm -hmm. And, and it was okay if some people didn't like that. How do you maintain that in an environment where that is constantly challenged? So make, I would just make sure I got the question. So is it maintaining the authenticity and also the confidence? Mm-hmm. Okay, so the confidence is easy. The authenticity I'm going to struggle with a little bit. So the confidence is easy for me. I, let me take a step back. Confidence wasn't always easy for me. I mentioned being a different kid. You can imagine like eight-year-old tomboy April with her muscle shirt and her bowl cut and a eight-inch tail in the back riding it's her skateboard. I'm imagine it. I'm just saying. It's a stretch, but I'll I'm sh- trying. I'll show you a picture. She wait. was not... She was an outcast. Um, uh. She was... So, you know, when I was in high school, I was voted least likely to succeed. Um, what was it weird in my high school reunion? Yeah. My mind is blown right now. Oh, uh. yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll, yeah. If I showed you a picture, you'd understand why. Um, I was the total delinquent. And... I have a long history of overcoming difficult situations. And that started very young. And then I grappled with that. So then I kind of became this misfit. Um, and then I kind of got a better handle on it. But the things that have happened to us when we're younger that are outside of our control, we can use them for excuses or we can use them for reasons. And I wasn't always good at taking that and, and turning it into a power Um, Then I got better at it, that I was someone who overcomes, that I was someone that cut her own path, that I did my own thing. And that started young. When I got into the professional world, like I said, you know, 19, being in charge of the process improvement committee at the hospital, I wasn't welcomed. They didn't want me in the room. I was their freaking daughter and they saw me as their daughter. But I... I pulled on the confidence. I pulled on the things that I had overcome, the the times where I had faced adversity. I pulled on that to get me through. So even, even now, when I'm facing a challenging situation, yes, I'm a confident person. Does my confidence get rattled? You freaking believe it does. But I know how to get it back. I know how to, to manufacture it. But thinking about the things that, the, the tough situations that I've been in, that's what gives me the power for the confidence. So whether you're an eight-year-old and you're thinking about something at six or whether you're 15 and you're using a fake ID so you can work at the movie theater at night or whether you're 30 years old and you're you know the highest paid employee at the Wells Fargo bank and people resent you because you're the youngest and you're the highest paid employee, 
I still had to come back to, I'm someone who, who cuts her own path. I'm someone who goes her own way. I'm someone who's overcome this and this and this and this. And that's why I know I will overcome this too. Mm-hmm. Des, you asked me about authenticity. Um, that one I struggle with more. And, um, you know, to be completely honest, that's something that I, I, uh, I let this division happen in April and then I have to consciously bring her back. Mm. Um, it's not natural to me. I think some people kind of, they're kind of like, I am who I am. I am who two people are. And then I have to consciously bring them, them back. Um, it's still a work in progress. You know, that's something I still struggle with. Um, I still struggle with. I will say, I don't know, one of the most inspiring journeys I've observed is you merging the two Aprils hmm. and showing up in force yeah. and impacting people's lives. Mine and Des included, right? Like yeah. you've impacted us. And the more we see of the true April, because um, I don't want to speak for Des, but I'm pretty sure she's agreed. We love both sides of April and both sides bring like... So me getting to see you do that courageous work of merging the two and bringing the full force of April to bear into the world, mm-hmm. badass three and all, mm-hmm. uh, like it's been inspiring April and yeah. uh, it's been, it's been beautiful to watch. So Thank been you. Honored to get to see it and be part of it. Thank you. Well, you have been instrumental into in that Mark as well. So it really has been, I think. Part of it is that um, I, when I was younger, I thought vulnerability and that, if you will, the authenticity didn't serve me. Um, mm. I uh, I would come into situations and I would thought, I need to be the woman that the situation demands of me. Mm. And I was really good at rising to that occasion. Yeah. But it was also because I was in a lot of um, adverse situations. I was in a lot of difficult situations. I um, I've told the story before where for a lot of my career, I did a lot of negotiations and I am really good at negotiations, but here's where I went wrong. I would always, I was sent in as the the master negotiator for difficult people. They'd say, oh, oh, this guy's real tough. Bring in April. She's really good with difficult people. And I thought this was a skill. I thought this was one of my, you know, my soft skills. Like, oh, this guy's an asshole. Send in April. And I was really good at winning over assholes. And I did it time and time again. And I thought this was a great skill I had. And then somewhere about five years ago, I thought, if your skill is that you can deal with difficult people, this is a shitty skill. Like pick up a hobby. This is not a good skill. And so (laughs) I spent a lot of times with very difficult people because I was good at dealing with difficult people. I was good at really tough situations. Um, And, you know, I, 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 I thought a lot about enduring and there came a time when I didn't want to endure anymore. I wanted to thrive. And that's a different that's a different take on life. I was really good at being a soldier in that, you know, I could put my my head down and helmet on and I could get through just about anything. But that is no way to love your life. And so I had to I had to make some changes. I have an awesome opportunity I need to tell you about. This is a chance to get into our new coaching program but at a discounted rate. If you are ready for more, would love to join a mastermind, attend an event, have real measurable growth, 
but struggle to make the time, you know you've got more, but you don't want to just work more. Let me tell you this growth doesn't only happen at conference rooms, it can happen right at your computer or on your phone. Look, if you're someone who wants coaching, actively reaching for that next level of success and wants what's in the Pivot Me Mastermind, but need to do it at your own time, but we've created just the thing for you, Pivot Me Virtual Coaching. I will deliver one video and worksheet each week to your inbox. And I'm gonna cover a lesson from the six pillars of the Pivot Me Academy, things like killer productivity, high performance habits, business and success strategies, You need to be in this. We created self-paced growth that is still tied to a weekly coaching program. You can literally go through the whole Pivot Me Academy just one lesson at a time for a fraction of the investment. But it's not just about being inspired. It's about taking action that's going to change your life and change your business. We've made it crazy simple and easy to execute. And for now, you can join our beta group at the discounted rate of only $27 a month before our formal launch. Join us at pivot-me.com backslash coaching before the launch, and we'll get you into the beta group. If you want to go further, faster, grow your business and get out of your own way, the answer isn't working more. But I know what is. Join us today. Okay, so you brought up the vulnerability word, connecting with Des's wonderful question of authenticity. I mean, when I first met you, vulnerability was your favorite word. (laughs) Sarcasm intended. She was like, what are you talking about feelings? We don't need to talk about that. So like, and I, I think it's great for people to hear this. Yeah. Because a lot of people here... Like a lot of your listeners, they, they think they have to put on a front and they can't be vulnerable and vulnerability is weakness and all these kind of things. So give, give them a little glimpse of what's been your journey of flipping that script a little bit. Sure. Well, I, I, I've told, you know, to tell a quick story of my journey in vulnerability. I mean, there was, you know, I had an inflection point when it came to vulnerability and I had what I would there's no other way to describe it other than like a life-changing experience in relationship to vulnerability. So about three years ago, I had created this word of intention. So we've we've talked about this on the podcast. We have a word of intention. It's a word that you're going to show up. We've done it with Des in the mastermind. And, um, and it's a word that you're going to show up as because it's something you need to bring into your life, right? Mm-hmm. So I picked a word. I'm not going to tell you what the word is. Yeah, I picked this word, right? But I wasn't really demonstrating this word. And then, and again, this experience happened that completely changed, changed my life. I went on a business trip and I was in, of all places, Nashville, which we've spent some time um, together in Nashville as well. And I was on a business trip and I was there and I had some team with me and I had clients with me and I was living the corporate life. I mean, I was, it was with my business, with my consulting firm, Maven. Um, but I was, I was on fire, badass April, right? And I was, you know, walking in and I was doing deals. I was, you know, kissing babies and high-fiving people. And it was great. And then later that night, someone, I was out at, uh, at a place with a client, with two clients, actually two different clients, a distributor and uh, um, a manufacturer. And someone spilled their drink. And I slipped on the ice 
and I dislocated my knee. And I knew immediately because I dislocated my knee once before. And I knew immediately what happened. I knew that my knee was out and I didn't want anyone's help. And so imagine if you will, like I'm wearing my, my suit, my, you know, like when you, when you do a business travel, you know what I mean? Like you have your four or five like power outfits. Like when you're going to freaking rock a deal, you wear these outfits, right? So I'm wearing one of those. Now I'm laying on the ground wet Mm. with someone else's drink in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm thousands of miles from home and my knee is dislocated. And I was like, I got it. Just, just leave me alone. I got it. And so my clients there and my other clients there, and they're like, we're going to help you up. I said, no, my knee is dislocated. I can't put weight on it. All right. We're going to take you back to her. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. Just call me an Uber. And I'm pushing their help away. Just leave me be, leave me be. Right. Cause this is stoic version of April. This is the version of April that doesn't do vulnerability and they wouldn't have it. They wouldn't have it. They're like, you're (laughs) my kneecap is in the wrong place. They're like, apparently my client, which I never knew he was a manufacturer. And he also was a, a medic in the Marines. So he's like, no, your knee is dislocated. And I said, it's fine. Just call me an Uber. So they helped me out to the Uber. And I was like, it's just, just go, just stick me in. I'm fine. I'll pay you back for the Uber. They're like, no, that's not what's going to happen. So they get in the car with me. We stop at a CVS. They buy me an Advil and they have to take me back to my hotel. Well, I'm staying at the Wyndham Resort. The thing about the Wyndham Resort is it's not a hotel, which means they do not have to have elevators. That's an important distinction because when we get there and it's raining in Nashville, Tennessee, there is no elevator to my room that's on the third floor. And mm. so I'm like, I'll hop out. I'm fine. And they're like, no, we have to help you to your room. I'm like, no, it's fine. It's fine. You're freaking crazy committed to not letting people yeah. out. I mean, no, that's no, ridiculous no. commitment. And I knew I was staying on the third floor, but I would rather have sat my butt on each one of those seats, which by the way, the stairs were outside raining in Nashville. I would rather sit my butt on the seat and scoot up three flights of stairs than let those people help me. Long story short, they weren't having it. They helped me. The client that was a medic in the Marines, um, a client that I was actually pretty pissed off at when I went into Nashville, I was like, oh, uh, ends up having to fireman carry me up three flights of stairs. And if you want to know humility, if you want to know vulnerability, have a client carry you up three flights of stairs and place you in bed in your hotel room. This was one of the most vulnerable moments in my life. And um, I was so immersed in the embarrassment of it and the humiliation that I did not recognize what was happening. So one of the clients, um, a guy by the name of Ryan and another client, a gal named Katie were there and they didn't leave. And I wanted them to leave because, you know, when you're traveling for business, like you leave the pizza boxes out, you leave your clothes out. You're like thinking, where did I leave everything? And they're walking around my hotel room. They're carrying me to bed. And I was humiliated. And I was calling home and I was calling one of my teammates that was there in Nashville, but his phone was turned off. And and I missed the magic of what was happening. So they they put me in bed and they sat there talking. And I'm like, again, my knee is dislocated. Like I'm actively in pain. And they started talking about how she is a singer. And though she's got this amazing corporate career, she's a singer and she performs in plays on the weekends. And he, the army medic, ends up saying about how he plays piano when he's stressed out, which is often. And they have this amazing conversation unfold while I'm laying in bed. And all I'm thinking is get the out of my hotel room. 
And um, it was just this uh, amazing moment of vulnerability that was kind of forced on me. And once I finally saw it for what I what it was, it taught me about vulnerability. And the word of intention that I set for this season of my life before I went on this trip was vulnerability. I did not do vulnerability well. And that trip single-handedly changed my approach in vulnerability. It changed my approach in letting people help me because people that had no, they had no agenda. They would not benefit from me. And yet when I fell down, they stood up. And if I had not fallen down, if I had not literally stumbled, I would have not seen how people are uh, just amazing and how they will come to your aid. So it changed, it changed everything for me. Wow. You called it an inflection point. That means it was one point and then it changed. From What has been the change? Like describe that just a smidge. The willingness to ask for help, the willingness, the, the perhaps the admission that you can't do it all. You can, but it's not the best version of you. And that's something I struggled with. Can you really? Can you really not do it all or which part? <laughs> well, you said you can do it all, but it's not the best way to do it. And I'm just questioning, can you, you really do it all? You can't do it for the best best version of your life. like you Because that's the problem is people who are used to doing it all, they can recount all the times. And I would do this. I would recount all the times where I had persevered against all odds. And so you're like, no, look at all this evidence of how I can do it all. Mm, yeah. But it, it it's crafting a, it's a crafting a crappy story because it's not the best version of your business. It's not the best version of your life. So I had lots of examples of being able to go at it alone, but it wasn't the best version of me. It wasn't the most fulfilled version of me. And since that event, I have let people in my lives in in my life in ways that I've never thought possible. So friends and um, business associates and peers and the, my business advisor that I met up with this morning, you know, just the, the, the vulnerability in the conversation that I had with Rod this morning is not something I would have done three years ago. The way that I sat down and the candid conversation with I ha- that I had with Rod, I wouldn't have done three years ago. So it was a huge inflection point for me. Wow. That a, that's such a powerful story. April, you know, and it's, it's this, it had to be that dramatic to get the point across. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm going to make you fall on your ass, be super embarrassed and have literally no other choice but to accept help from other human beings. For sure. For sure. And then, well, and then the next morning in that same story. So mind you, I still hadn't gone to the hospital. My knee is still dislocated. So the next, about 5 a.m., the teammate that I was traveling with gets, you know, 40 missed calls from April um, because he's staying at the Wyndham too. And he's like, calls me. He's like, what the hell happened? I said, my knee is just looking. I need to go to the hospital. Can you come get me? So, um, you know, there is, uh, ironically, his name is also Ryan. There is another Ryan who is now carrying me down three flights of stairs. And what's funny about that story is that the same gal from last night, Katie, shows up and she's just an awesome wingman. And when Ryan from my team is carrying me downstairs, my, my director of product management, she snaps a picture and I'm like, what are you doing? And she goes, someday this will be funny. And I'm wearing like Mickey Mouse sweats, cut off sweats. I have one shoe on, one shoe off. I don't know where the shoe went. And, and I'm literally hanging on the back of Ryan. And I remember thinking, this photo will never be funny, Katie. 
the the photo's funny now. It's funny. Just just a couple weeks ago, we researched. Katie sent it out to me and Ryan and said, "Remember that night?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, I remember that night." Um, because there's a version of April before and there's a version of April after that. So, and a lot of other things ended up happening on that trip. A gal ended up having a seizure on the flight home. Anyways, it was a pretty profound trip. It was a really profound trip. So definitely my um, my life was sort of marked before and after that trip. That is so powerful. I love that. Yeah. I think what it what it is when I look back now that we're we're talk we're talking about it. I think that the things that got me to a certain point then didn't serve me anymore as an adult. Mm -hmm. The things that got me through my younger years and even my 20s, um, they served me then. Uh, They didn't serve me into my 30s and they're not going to serve me into my 40s. And that just having the realization of what got you here won't get you there, that was hard. You know, just understanding that it was like, oh, it's the the drive and the grit and, you know, I'm stubborn and I'm all these things and I am, but acknowledging when something's got to change because that drive, it needs to turn into thrive. And that is kind of a different, I had to accept that I needed to change, a different version of April needed to show up to enjoy this life better. Wow. This discomfort that you go through to get to the next best version of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 With, uh, you've got this course on productivity and you yeah. crush, and you give people practical tools, but so much of what we're hearing tonight so far has been like the power of you change your story, you change your life and yeah. like the deep work and the significant moments and like redefining yourself and like, there's been so much work for you to be able to show up mm-hmm. so consistently the way you do and add so much value to other people. You should totally download her course, buy her course if you haven't got it yet. <laughs> yeah, legit. I, I made a presentation the other day. No joke. I presented it to upcoming entrepreneurs, literally screenshotted your course and put the link to it in there. of like, you need to go. Damn right. Damn right. Watch this freaking thing. And honestly, so let's talk about the course for a second. Let's talk about why I created Multiply Me. So, So I'm a business advisor, right? And so that's what I do for my career. And when the door shuts... Right. And someone, so someone comes to me and says, I want to increase my net profit. I want to open up the European market. I want to, you know, whatever. I want to launch this new product. So it all seems very reasonable, very kind of structured business challenges that we're going to face. Except when the door shut, the question I was asked the most is, is, is one of two things. How do I get more done in my day? And how do I get more done in my team's day? Ultimately, everybody was grappling with time management and productivity. And that's why I created Multiply Me, because there is a way to multiply yourself where you can get more done without working more hours. Unfortunately, we've equated productivity to just working more hours. In fact, we've glorified the 80-hour work week, the hustle hard, hustle hard. And here's the thing. I am someone who has hustled for a long time. I believe in the hustle. However, has that always served me? I paid a price. I paid a big price for a long time and there was a better way to do it. And then when I went through the process of learning the better way, learning productivity, learning how to be more effective at what I was doing, I knew that I needed to show other people how to do that. How you run a business, how you run a consulting firm, how you run a podcast and also 
a family and having two young kids with, you know, showing up and being present for their lives and their needs and all the things that are involved with that. How do you do all those things? You do it with time management skills. You do it with productivity. And so when I realized that at sort of the the basis of so many of these business questions were, I need to get more things done. I need to master distraction. I need to get the right things done. I'm spending my time on low value tasks. I knew that that's something I could teach people. And it doesn't matter if they're, if they want to grow a business, great. If they want to write a book, great. It, regardless of the goal, it just takes reverse engineering and, and you can project management. You can project manage any goal. Weight loss, write a book, open a business, grow a business. It doesn't matter what it is. It's not rocket science. We make it out to be so, so very difficult, but it's really just scheduling it and focusing on the most high value task. And that's what Multiply Me teaches people. Everybody needs it. (laughs) Oh my gosh. We're actually just launching a um, Multiply Me mastermind that is around walking people through the digital course. And so each week we cover a um, a week in the module. So you watch the module um, and then we meet on midweek and we talk about the module and we make sure, because here's the thing, if you've bought a digital course, sometimes you struggle on actually executing on the content because humans need accountability. That's normal. Don't beat yourself up. If you bought a digital course and you don't execute, what you're missing is community and accountability. And so, and we've run into this as well. And so what we did is we created the Multiply Me Mastermind, which takes, okay, we're, we're going through one module, you watch the module, and then we're talking about it. We're making sure that you actually execute on the content because the content is transformative. Because ultimately, guys, it's not about just getting more done in your day. It's not about, well, I used to get 10 things done on my to-do list, now I can get 15. Because honestly, who freaking cares? You crossed off five extra things. Who cares about that? It's not about just getting more done. It's because you have spent time creating this life outside of work. And I want you to have time for that life. I want you to have time for the life you've earned. So there are things you've got to get done in your day. And I can show you how to get them done faster so you can get on with the rest of your life. Yeah. And that, you know, I don't know how much people know, because one of the questions I want, maybe kind of a lighter question, is what does April do with the time that she gets when she's not badassing and building business or helping other people grow their business? When you get that sacred time, what do you do with Mm. that? And how do you hold it sacred to prevent the uh, disruptions of infiltrating that time? Well, I hold it differently. So if we're talking about um, time during the workday, I have to protect it differently than I have to protect time maybe from my family. So um, it looks Baking a little different. Baking all those cookies that you did during the pandemic. I do bake. I did bake a lot of cookies during the pandemic. It did not always serve us well, but we have like perfected the cookie making skills. So, um, so a couple of things. I schedule it when people are frustrated because they're not getting things done or people aren't respecting their boundaries or I need to get these things done, but people aren't listening to it, it's because you've often not communicated to your people, your people being your spouse and your kids and your employees or your boss, your staff, whoever that is, you've not communicated to your people the task that you're doing, the importance of the task. And this is critical when they can have your time back. 
So if you've, mm-hmm. if you've set aside time, I need to set aside two hours to work on this course. I need to set aside two hours to do bookkeeping, whether it's in business or in personal life, you need to set aside the time and you need to communicate when they can have your attention back. So to answer your question about what, what do I do? Like specific things. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark knows this. So um, Mark coined the phrase, a hiking April is a happy April. Happy April. It is very true. So one of my favorite activities in the world is hiking. I can spend hours and I do spend hours and hours hiking. It is, I, I never get tired of hiking. I never go, you know what? I've hiked enough. Like those words have not left my mouth um, ever. Um, I may be trying to groom my 14-year-old niece into liking hiking. I've been taking her more and more and trying to point out all the, the wonderful things about hiking because I'm trying to groom her. Um, no, I love hiking. I love spending time camping and in the outdoors. I'm a huge outdoors person. Does everybody know what part of the country you live in? I live in... No, no. West Coast. So I live in the Sierra Nevadas. So I live right on the border between Nevada and California. Um, which means that I've got beautiful crystal clear alpine lakes. I've got thousands of miles of hiking trails. I can nerd out on this. I have the Pacific Crest Trail that cuts right through pretty much my backyard, which is a 2000 mile hike between um, Canada and Mexico. It's just, it's beautiful. It's unbelievable. I want to hike now. Right? Let's hike. Well, I'm going to see you. encouraged to hike now. I'm going to see you next week, Mark. So we might. We're going to hike. We're going to hike. Um yeah. I, so I love all things outdoors. That's huge. I'm also super gregarious. I love people and crowds, which has not served me during COVID. Honestly, I love parties. I love um, get togethers. I, I love loud music. We're going to do a mastermind in some location when we're allowed to do so. I think we agreed San Juan, Puerto Rico. Yes. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that's Beautiful. what's going to happen. Yeah. Hey, but like you didn't even let the pandemic. Wasn't there like a Thanksgiving with heaters brought in and a big massive tent. I, I mean, I like you found a way I, to get your people. I so. hired like a wedding tent, like the bi- like the big top ones, giant wedding tent. We hired it for our backyard and we brought in all these heaters and we hired a company to create an outdoor space. They kept wanting to put doors on it. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We're in the middle of the pandemic. We'll leave the doors open. And so, and then we created, we had all these space heaters and then I brought in all these fire pits. We have, a, um, every year we have the Thanksgiving, we call it the Island of Misfit Toys. And essentially anyone that does not have a place on Thanksgiving is welcomed at our house. And so we started this probably about 15 years ago and now it's grown a lot. So some, some years we have 30 people, some years we have almost 50 people. It's it's a pretty big ordeal. We remove all the furniture in our house. Ordinarily, 2020 was different. And we uh, make this giant Thanksgiving meal because we want people to feel welcomed. So um, we had a friend start about 15 years ago and he went through a divorce. And he called me and he said, I don't know how to make a Thanksgiving turkey. And my kids just lost their mom. What do I do? And I said, you come to our house. And uh, and then I had to figure out how to make a Thanksgiving turkey. Um, and, then, uh, <laughs> and, then, um, and then my husband made it. Um, and then he started bringing his two kids to our house for Thanksgiving. And that kicked off the whole thing. And then it became a thing we just did for years to come. And we put a sign on the door that says, um, you are welcomed, you are loved, and you belong here. 
And so every Thanksgiving, people see that sign and they come into our house and and we have such a hodgepodge. We have, you know, my husband's family who's from Spain and we have friends from India that come and we have friends from Nigeria and friends from Colombia. And so it's this like, oh, come see this American tradition of um, Thanksgiving. And then there's just like, my parents and my sister and my, um, you know, friends. And it's just this great experience. So we had to get creative in 2020, but I definitely love crowds and parties and music. And um, I love events like that. So I'm, I'm definitely a, a party planner. I enjoy that. I don't know if you finished answering the question, but can I, so like, we've heard the, we know badass April, mm-hmm. but like we've heard the, humanitarian work overseas and we're hearing this piece of thanksgiving and some of you are like oh my gosh april's a lover like i didn't know this about her talk about your kids oh. and priority of being a mom because maybe guys like, like housing lots of tadpoles you know and uh, <laughs> things like that because you you do business and building your brand and changing the world yeah at such a high level but you equally, if not, it's higher prioritizing for you, I know. Yep. Like the way you love your kids and your husband mm-hmm. uh, is inspiring. And I think people need to hear that. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Sometimes I get a little tongue-tied about that because when I talk about my kids, I get pretty emotional. Um, so um, I friggin' adore my kids. To Des's point, I've housed a lot of tadpoles. We catch, especially during 2020, we catch a lot of tadpoles. Uh, we've got bug, we've got critter carriers and bugs and they're everywhere. Both of my kids love bugs. So we grew a lot of tadpoles. I buried a fish the other day and then I buried a fish and I thought we were going to bury him like a box this big. And my seven-year-old brings a box this big. And I'm like, I'm not digging a hole for a box this big for, it wasn't even a fish. It wasn't our fish. Our snail died. The snail that is in the fish tank where the fish lives died. And she brought me a Tupperware container this big and said, Mama, I'm ready to bury the the snails. Like, like, hell you are. We're putting them in a tiny box. So our kids are the most amazing things ever. So we have two daughters um, right now. They're seven and 10. And they are just amazing. They're the most fascinating and compassionate, empathetic kids observant and fun-loving and adventurous. And being a parent is very, very important to me. So I, you know, being authentic, I was not someone who wanted to have babies. I did not grow up wanting to be a mother. I grew up wanting to be Indiana Jones, very seriously. Like I wanted all things Indiana Jones. I wanted to travel the world with, with a satchel and a bullwhip. And I'm not even kidding. I didn't see myself as a mom. I was very adventurous and go, go, go and high need for variety and all those things. But boy, do you get variety when you have kids. And then, um, you know, 10 years ago, we decided to have kids. I would say my husband kind of talked me into it. And it's the best thing in the world. It's the hardest, best thing in the world. And once I had them, I realized that the most important thing that I could be is this phenomenal mother to them. But I also recognized it didn't have to be either or. You know, at the beginning of this conversation, I talked about you can turn, you can use things as your reason or your excuse. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be honest here. A lot of people use kids as their excuse. Yep. As like, well, I can't go after this because I have kids. I can't do this in business because I have kids. I can't run a marathon because I have kids. And let me tell you, when they get older and they remember you saying, well, I gave it all up for you. It doesn't feel good as... The, 
and, and you see those adults now that they're like, oh yeah, my mom would tell me she gave up everything for us. It doesn't make them feel good. They don't go, wow, she really loves me. They're like, oh, I feel kind of crappy because yeah. my mom martyred herself because yeah. of me. As mothers, we are very good at modeling self-sacrifice for our kids. We are not always good at modeling thriving and fulfillment for our kids. And so I want to be the best mother I can be to them, but I'm also teaching my girls how to be women and how to be wives. I'm not just teaching them what it looks like for me to be a mother. I'm also thinking, do I want my daughter to give this up when they are 30 or 40 years old? Do I want my child to swap places with me? Because if the answer is no, then I've got to model something different. We think what we're modeling is what we tell them. Oh, hell no. They are watching us. If I don't want my daughters to trade places with me, then I'm doing something wrong and I better freaking adjust because they're going to go out and very likely create the same life I've created for myself. Preach, April. Preach. Yes. That's <laughs> why I asked the question. So like if you're a mom and like just rewind that and listen yeah. to like clip that little piece out and listen to it on repeat. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. You need to understand that when you're taking care of yourself, when you're doing your thing, people are not going to understand people that are right in your circle of influence will not always understand. That doesn't mean you don't do that. I, if I would have waited for permission from everyone, I would have never done the things that I did. I can remember, I just posted a picture the other day about the first habitat trip I took after having ba a baby. So it was after having my oldest. And I, I thought for sure, oh, I'll still travel. I'll still do humanitarian work. And then I had a baby and I went, oh, this is going to be way hard. And the truth is what I didn't think is that I didn't want to. Like I'd gotten comfortable staying home. And you kind of, it's like a horse, you get barn sour. You don't want to leave the barn. Because you're, you may have traipsed all over the world through all sorts of amazing and dangerous places and been through a couple of military coups and maybe a rabies series in there. And then you have a baby and you're like, oh, no, 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 I'm supposed to stay home. I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to stay in the suburbs of Reno and never leave. And I finally did. I finally took my first trip. So the first trip after having my oldest, I went to Trinidad and it was hard. And people didn't understand. And I need you to know that when you step outside the boxes that others have drawn for you, they don't understand. Because even if they are great people, even if they love you, they can't help but think what you're about to do, how's that going to influence me? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if it's a habitat trip to Trinidad or if it's, I've decided to run a marathon and that means my alarm goes off at 5.30. Your spouse may not like it. That is not an indication of whether you should do it or not because you're not living the life for them. I'm not saying being inconsiderate. I'm not saying selfish. They're not one in the same. self -care. And let... Now, now I'm on We're in. We're in. <laughs> let me just say, mamas, self-care is not a shower alone. That's not what that is. And my God, have I done that too. My God, have I thought that if I want to take a shower, if I want to take a long shower, long shower means, you know, sh shaving your legs. Um, if I want to take a long shower, that that is self-care. That is not self-care. That is san like sanitation. <laughs> but we think that it is. 
And, you know, it's funny because, you know, I work with, I work with a lot of men, male business owners, but more and more I've started to work with more female business owners. And man, I got to tell you, the questions they ask me are not the same as my male business owners. They are, how do you do it all? How do you stop your spouse from being upset that you've got goals? How do you explain to your kids that there are things you need to do that don't involve them? They ask very, very different questions. And we are faced with some great opportunities, but some unique challenges too. And we Mm. need to acknowledge that, but that's not a reason to back down for your dreams. That's not a reason to go, it's too hard or they will suffer too much. Instead, we've got to be creative and go, how do I do this thing that is important to me? How do I still do that? And, And that doesn't mean that you're not a present and joyful mom. When my, my, my mantras around motherhood is be present, joyful, and patient. One child gets patient. The other child gets joyful. (laughs) But I have to be that person. And I'm not always that person. I'm not 100%. But when I'm doing self-care, when I'm hiking and I'm doing all the things that make me whole, I am better at being a joyful, present, and patient parent. I think you do it in a way that is a model for any professional mom. I totally agree. I honor and commend and acknowledge you're not perfect because that's that's not what we're aiming for. And even no. since I've known you, like you've made progress and you've gotten free from some of the, whatever you need to get free from sure. so that you can do that better and do the other thing. Like, so you don't pick and you don't beat yourself up over it and it, you, you do it well. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's something that's very important. Well, the other thing is, you know, when we talked about this before, but I struggled a lot with mama guilt when I first became a mom. Mm-hmm. The thing about guilt it doesn't serve us at all. It robs us of our joy, Mm -hmm. but it does not serve us. If you have wronged someone, then write them. If you have done something that you shouldn't have, then fix it. But just to have guilt because you're prioritizing self-care, just because because you have a, a weekend with your friends in the mountains and you're having a great time and it's not involving, you know, your family, guilt just robs you of the joy of the moment. It does not serve any purpose at all. And also understanding that not everybody understands. We don't need everybody to be on board. We don't need everyone's permission to go after the life that we need. Sometimes we walk around with our permission slips. Like one of the mastermind activities that I have for my clients is an actual permission slip. And I I make them go through the process of what do you need permission for? And I make them give themselves permission. And sometimes it's permission for forgiveness. Sometimes it's permission for self-care. Sometimes it's permission to switch businesses or careers or whatever it is. But I, I, I broached this idea of we don't need someone externally to give us permission. We need to give ourselves permission. Huge. Yep. Okay, so hundredth episode. That's what kind of brought us together. That is. That's it. Right. I'm curious. What has been to you? the most significant milestone and let's go with since the launch of pivot me Mm -hmm. um i don't know 100th episode could be it or like to you not to everybody watching not to the metrics not to the bank account not to what other people but like and what's been the most significant milestone to you in this journey over the last how long ago it means a two year, two, and a half, two years, a little, little bit over two years, I think two and a half, maybe the biggest milestone in the last two years to you. 
I don't know if it's a milestone, but something that's really significant with me and pivot me. People will tell me that they reference back to episodes I've done multiple times. And that has been significant. I have a, a gal that I work with, Nicole, and she has people listen to a certain episode of mine before she works with them. She said, you have to listen to this episode because what you need to know is here and I need you to be at that that destination before you and I even work together. And that those kinds of stories are really significant to me because when I look at what I'm here to do, my big, hairy, audacious goal, it's impact. Like I know what I'm here to do. Mm -hmm. I'm here to impact people with with my with my story, with my expertise, I want to share it with the most amount of people. It took me so long to get into the rooms that I got into. And I believe that once you get into them, your job is to hold the door open and let let people in. And when I think about the people that are, you know, he, he need to listen to this episode before we can work together. I think about how many people say, I hear April Garcia's voice in my head. I hear that a lot. I hear, I even hear that with my podcast manager. Ben has told me that. I do that, by the way. You know? He's like, yeah. He's like, and then April Garcia started speaking to me. And, um, you know, just that my story, that my expertise, for me, a decision filter is, is this thing I'm about to do going to impact the few or the many? I mm. ask myself that every day. The conversation I'm about to have, the video I'm about to do, the podcast I'm about to do, I don't want to just impact the few. I want to impact the many because our time is is limited in this in this world. And it, time is the one non-renewable resource we've got. And so I think about, I want to make sure that the things that I spend the rest of my days doing, I want them to impact people. I want to educate people. I want to elevate people. I want to help people execute. That's why we, we talk about our marketing messages, do you E3? Because that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to mentor and coach people in a way that, my God, I wish I would have had when I was younger. That's mm-hmm. one of the biggest mistakes I made in my career is I didn't have mentors. I didn't have the, the mentors and the role models and the coaches. That's a huge mistake I made in my career. I wanted them, but I didn't know how to find them. And just a host of things all came together and I didn't have them. And so I want to be that for other people. And so mm-hmm. when I hear that people have turned an episode into a way that clients have to work with them. When I hear people have turned an episode into, and I made this radically different decision in my life or my business, those are really huge moments for me. Yeah. I think that's huge. So to wrap us up, I I asked you this question and I think it's a great maybe way for people to see the kind of things that influenced you. I've asked you this when I interviewed you on my podcast, which is what is one of the best pieces of advice that you've been given? I, you know, I think it ties into, I'm trying to think of what, you know, the exact piece of advice was, but I think it ties into that same message I was saying is if I could tell the world one thing, it would be change your story and change your life. And I think that's a version of what I heard, not necessarily directly, but sort of indirectly by books and and people that I look up to, you know, authors and speakers, motivational speakers and things like that. It was that um, your circumstances don't define you that just because your family has never done it, just because you've never done it, just because you don't have a history of being successful at this thing does not mean that you are excluded from that, that there's plenty of room. There's plenty of room for you to get into. Even if your background looks a little different, it's fine. You can still get in. 
honestly does. I had a lot of bad of advice. I had a lot of... <laughs> a huge string of really shitty advice. Well, that's good. What was the worst? <laughs> oh, um, what like I, I got a list of that. Oh yeah, I, I do. Um, <laughs> I had a supervisor, and when I worked for a distribution company, and he told me to put your head down and your helmet on. Don't lift your head, and you won't get shot. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's still a friend to this day. But that was really bad advice, pal. Um. Yeah. And I lived by that advice for years and it did not serve me well. And honestly, it didn't serve him. He was wildly capable too and didn't um, reach the levels he could have if he would have just lifted his head a little bit. And to be clear, you might get shot, but that doesn't mean it's going to kill you. Boom. Boom. <laughs> the same thing. That just happened. Mm-hmm. Come on, Jason. Come on, Jason. What were you thinking? Super bad advice, Jason. Um, oh. yeah, this was, this was good guys. This was fun. Wow. It went in a totally different direction than I was expecting. I never thought about going back that far, but I think Mark, when you asked the question of like, when did the badass restart? I was like, Ooh, I guess that is oh, way back. Oh, we're digging. We're I know. Digging deep I haven't thought about yeah. making a ramp at the end of my driveway and riding my skateboard with my little rat tail hanging out in the back. I haven't thought about that in years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I I love to just riffing off of what you're saying. Yeah. Because then it's just like this natural flow of conversation, not so much just, you know. Uh, Yeah. It creates a real conversation because all the good stuff's in you, April. And we just got to draw some of it out for the benefit of everyone else. And I think probably give them a little glimpse of some things they hadn't heard before and off. I think so. And I love how candid and authentic you were. Mm. Um, so that's your goal. Thank you. I, when, when I think about it, what I, what I don't want to do, and I wasn't always very conscious of this tonight, I don't want people to chalk up. I had a friend that used to call me metahuman. He's like, oh, of course, April does this. Mm. Metahuman. And I hated it. I know he said it as a compliment, but I hated it because I'm like, no, then you think there's something exceptional about me. And the truth is there's something exceptional about all of us. But if you think it's just me, then you will give yourself a pass, an exclusion that I don't need to be like that. I'm not like her. Yeah. And that's bullshit. You, like you absolutely can be however you want to be. We are however we decide to be. So that's 100, 100 episodes, lesson stories, and a conversation between you and me. But for this next season, I want to know you better. I want to understand what you need of me, of us, of Pivot Me. What do you need more of? What do you need less of? How can we help? I want to help you get out of your own way, help you to the next level of success without giving up on the other things you love in life that is not always the price of admission. But talk to me. Reach out. Let me know because I'm listening. Thank you so much for dialing in today. And don't forget, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you love what you hear, give us a five-star review. It means the world to us. Hit me up on Instagram at the April Garcia or check us out online at pivot-me.com. This is all made possible with the support of you listeners, the numerous contributors and our clients. Our music and production is by the amazing Rockwood Audio. Join me next time for more tips on how to hack success. And until then, make it a great day. Thanks, guys.
guys are amazing.